What will business investing in Opportunity Zones look like? Coworking Hub and Startup Incubator Launchpad may offer the best example that I've seen so far. Their full-stack approach checks a lot of boxes and has the potential to really help fulfill many of the goals of the Opportunity Zones initiative. Find out more as I am joined today by the husband-wife team of Chris Schultz and Ann Driscoll, with a few brief cameos by their new baby daughter as well. Next on today's episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Want to learn more about Opportunity Zones and network with other professionals? Come to the Opportunity Zone Super Conference in Dallas, April 3 through 4. Visit ozdfw.com to learn more and buy tickets, and use promo code OPPORTUNITYDB to save an additional 25%. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Since its founding in 2009, Launchpad has helped support hundreds of companies, which collectively have created 5,000 jobs and raised over $160 million in capital. From Launchpad's 22,000 square feet of office space, their entrepreneurs have graduated to fill over 600,000 square feet of office space. And what Launchpad is doing could be a blueprint for how entrepreneurial investment in opportunity zones will ultimately work. My guests today are Launchpad's founders, CEO Chris Schultz and President Ann Driscoll. They join us today from their office in New Orleans. Chris and Ann, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you today. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you guys on. So let's just dive right in. Can you tell me about Launchpad's mission and what you view as Launchpad's role? Yeah. uh, Launchpad is on a mission to create the world's strongest community of uh, entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals, people who are working entrepreneurially uh, in a support system to uh, help all of us uh, be more successful. Um, And a big part of that is uh, we believe in a world where uh, where innovation and creation of companies happens anywhere. And so we're working towards enabling people in uh, what we call momentum markets. Um, and these are uh, smaller cities around the country, uh, primarily focused in the U.S. right now, um, to be able to build businesses and build careers uh, where they live now. That's great. Yeah, I know a, a lot of entrepreneurial and freelance work has become location agnostic these last the last decade or so. And that's led to a rise in telecommuting. And there's a lot of benefit, obviously, to being able to work from anywhere, to be able to work from home or Starbucks, et cetera, and kind of set your own hours. Uh, But that's led to a loss of community for some who work alone, right? And and I I think you guys are kind of helping to bring that back. You're the co-working spaces that Launchpad sets up, helps create collisions and, and the the residents or the tenants, I should say, start to benefit from a networking effect there. So can you dive into that a little bit more and tell me a little bit more about your business model and, and what you guys are up to lately? Yeah, you bet. And uh, as as you've stated, you know, working from home is a wonderful flexibility that's become um, almost ubiquitous today as sort of the future of work and the ability to work anywhere has happened. And to your point, um, it can actually be a fairly lonely uh, job 
So if you're a remote worker and you're in your home office, um, difficult to sort of feel that engagement that you would normally get from your fellow employees or team members. Uh, more importantly, if you're starting a business uh, and trying to do it on your own, um, it's always a just a huge barrier to get out there, to network, to develop customer relationships, uh, to get help on some of the challenges, to find your first believers, to find investment. And so really what we do is we really serve uh, those folks who have the ability to work where they want to work, to want to be entrepreneurial, and we create a hub. Um, and so from a business model perspective, we offer flexible co-working space options, world-class space where you can get the internet, offices, conference rooms, things like that. Um, but we also layer on a really important aspect of community, education, and programming. Um, and what we find is, is that each Launchpad location is unique. Um, we strive to make it feel really local uh, and part of the community, working in collaboration with other organizations throughout that community that support entrepreneurs. So the accelerators that exist or the um, entrepreneurial centers that economic development provides, things like that, um, and act, act as that hub uh, and support system. And it really has given us the opportunity to create a great business for ourselves, but also to spawn um, many more businesses within these cities. And when I hear of a co-working space or the co-working space industry, my mind automatically goes to WeWork. They're the kind of the big player in this space right now. And But obviously there are, I, I believe there are hundreds of other ones like Launchpad who are set up more locally and haven't expanded the way that uh, WeWork has. What what distinguishes Launchpad from from WeWork or, or other co-working or incubator yeah. companies? I think one thing to note before WeWork, there was Regis. Um, and I think what we're seeing is, is that we love uh, the fact that WeWork is making the market really understand um, what co-working can really look like. Uh, there's thousands of independent co-working spaces across the country today. You know, I think at the end of the day, what really distinguishes us is what would distinguish us from WeWork as much as it would distinguish us from any independent co-working space offered, say, by a developer, for example, is one of the things about flexible work solutions is that it's actually pretty difficult. Um, and so we can offer, you know, we can offer the Wi-Fi, we can offer the chairs, the desks, uh, the beautiful location, the design of the moment. Um, but what we really see is, is that the stickiness comes from being a part of our members' lives uh, and our members' sort of focus, building a really direct and, and real connection with the members that exist at Launchpad and creating an opportunity and a platform for them to create those connections with each other and also to use the Launchpad platform as a way to help build their own business. So people may uh, initially come and love the look of your space, but they really stay not for the coffee and the beer, but rather for the fact that it becomes an essential part of their success as an entrepreneur. And that's why we see very few of our members moving on to other locations because they really benefit from that activated community, the support services that we wrap around and a growing network of spaces that they can tap into as well. Come for the beer, stay for the community, right? <laughs> That's right. Stay, actually, come for the beer, stay for the success. Stay for the success. That could be your new uh, slogan. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to back up for a minute, though. What, uh, Chris, you were the one who founded Launchpad originally about 10 years ago in New Orleans. What was the impetus for, for doing that, for 
for founding Launchpad and and where did that passion come from? Yeah, so uh, the we started Launchpad in a um, post Katrina uh, environment in New Orleans uh, with an impetus to not just build back to the business community that we had. Um, that was, you know, to be frank, kind of a complacent business community. It wasn't focused around tech. It wasn't focused around entrepreneurship, um, and to build the business community that we wanted. Uh, so Launchpad functioned um, is sort of a, a ecosystem catalyst um, uh, by providing a platform and a place and a physical hub where entrepreneurs uh, could work. Um, we had tremendous impact uh, and we were fortunate to have a tremendous impact on the development of the New Orleans startup ecosystem over the first um, eight or nine years of our existence. Um, entrepreneurs working at Launchpad created over 5,000 jobs, um, raised $160 million in venture capital and grew as they graduated out of Launchpad into 600,000 square feet of real estate elsewhere in New Orleans. And so today, um, what we've really begun to uh, begun to sort of embark on is um, Launchpad serving as a catalyst in entrepreneurial ecosystems around this country. Um, you know, we're, we, we all hear about the um, startup ecosystems in some of the hub markets, San Francisco, LA, New York. Um, and our goal is to be able to uh, help to catalyze and, and participate in the community of entrepreneurs in other cities around the country and really um, replicate that success that we've had in New Orleans um, in cities around the country. And you started in New Orleans and and you founded the company about 10 years ago, 2009, I believe. But it, it's only been in the last year or so that you've started expanding to, to other cities and you're in Newark and Memphis and Nashville today. Uh, can, you, can you talk to me about that inflection point that you reached and, and why you decided to expand to those to those new cities? Yeah. Uh, so part of that, this is where we interweave the, 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 the personal narrative into the story. Um, Anne, who's my partner and, and, and on this and, and also is my wife, um, has a lot of experience scaling businesses. And so she's a 20 year Silicon Valley exec. Um, I am, um, kind of a zero to one guy and have had, uh, success starting businesses, but, but, uh, have not really scaled yet. And so we came to the conclusion that, um, as we want to, uh, create a company, um, that requires some travel, uh, could we do that together? So, uh, Anne joined the company and instantly began thinking about scaling, um, bringing in, uh, you know, a new sort of mindset into the company. And we've, we've, you know, begun over the last um, 12 months to uh, to expand to new locations. And we now have a fully formed strategy around it uh, as we expand to what we call momentum markets. And so these are um, cities that have a quality of life, cultural, historic aspects to it, um, where there might be sort of a burgeoning community, um, but is, uh, but is a, a smaller market that we can um, help to catalyze those ecosystems. Yeah, and as much as I'd, I'd like it to be just that I showed up and all of a sudden we started to expand, we've been doing work with ecosystems around the world for the last few years. And one of the common threads there is, is that successful ecosystems that create a lot of startup activity and therefore economic impact actually come from cre the creation of hubs 
um, and the activation and catalyst of startup folks within those communities. And so it was just a really natural extension for us. We had built this great platform at Launchpad. Um, we have an amazing community, a successful business model, uh, that it was the time for us to sort of take that ecosystem work and start to have an impact uh, in a bigger way. And so for me, uh, I've been living in the Valley for a long time. I certainly uh, subscribe to the notion that it would be difficult to build a great company outside of Silicon Valley. And, you know, for the most part, major investors there would say, if you want to build a great company and you have a great idea, um, move here and build your team. This is where the talent pool is. Well, that's actually changed a lot uh, in the last few years. And the technology enablement that's happening right now means you can actually build a business anywhere. And the rise of remote teams makes it even more possible. So it was really kind of a nice natural extension of the fact that we both from a philosophical and a mission-driven perspective wanted to give back and have an impact on the work that we did. And so finding markets where there are entrepreneurs already They've got the agency, they've got the desire and starting to really build a network uh, and an amplification around that. We really are striving to replicate the impact that Chris was able to have in New Orleans over the last seven years or nine years and replicate that impact across all the markets that we're in. And so that's that's really the sort of mission and vision for ourselves as a the kind of work that we want to do um, as we do that together. And that mission, that vision aligns really nicely with the Opportunity Zones program. So you've, you have four current locations and three of them are in Opportunity Zones. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe your, your New Orleans, Newark, and Memphis locations are located within Opportunity Zones. And, and your one in Nashville is just a couple blocks away from an Opportunity Zone. How, how did that come about for you? And when did you find out that, that, uh, that you had three of your four locations in Opportunity Zones? Was that just good luck? or? Uh... <laughs> To some extent, it was. Um, I think, first of all, um, with Nashville, we call it uh, Opportunity Zone Adjacent, um, which has a lot of the same benefits that come from being in an actual Opportunity Zone. And as we looked at um, our four locations, I think it's actually a product of us selecting markets um, and cities and then specific micro locations that would also fit the philosophy of opportunity zones. We tend to look for places where um, our millennial population choose to work. They tend to be in the downtown core. They have a lot of great uh, lifestyle factors within them. They are looking for um, places with historical elements and, and sort of some of that, that aspect of it. Those are naturally the places that work for opportunity zones because the whole initiative is how do we spark and energize communities that have been somewhat left behind as we've seen this sort of, um, what, what would we call it, uh, the suburbanization really of work and so sort of the creation of these office parks. Now we actually want to see people moving down into the CBDs in these areas. There's great historical building stock. There's a lot of walkability. There's interesting uh, established infrastructure in there and they tend to lend themselves to opportunity zones. Now, once we heard about the Opportunity Zone legislation, we did have this uh, great moment where we, you know, it was, it's very nice to have such a, um, a, validating, a validating factor to the strategy that we are pursuing. Um, and I think it, we see it as not a shift of our strategy, but rather an accelerant to the existing strategy that we look for. Um, and specifically, you know, as we look for what are the next set of locations and where, you know, we opened four last year or three last year to become four, 
we're looking, we have much bigger ambitions for this year and next. Um, but with the opportunity zone legislation, there's a lot of opportunity and people looking for great businesses that are actually operating in the zones. And we happen to be one of those businesses that operate in the zones. And so we're really preparing our business, getting the team oriented, building the infrastructure so that we can scale quickly um, to take advantage of the opportunity zone legislation and the very time sensitive nature of it. So I want to ask you about business investing in opportunity zones, uh, because the opportunity zones initiative is really a capital gains based program. And Typically, the types of investments with huge capital gains are going to be business investments, venture investments, and not real estate, which is where we've seen the vast majority of these opportunity zone funds set up so far. And, and that's the result of, of the regulatory environment currently where we ha don't, have, don't have the final regs from the IRS. And there's a lot of questions around, around business investing, obviously. But... Um, a question to you, which, which types of businesses do you see succeeding or attracting capital uh, as part of Opportunity Zone investment? Well, one, first I'll, I'll take a comment on the point about the, the real estate and the seeking of more Opportunity Zone operating businesses, which is, I think real estate investors by, by and large um, are very good at identifying, working with and leveraging any tax credit that exists. Um, that's a very normal function within that industry. And I think for the venture side, what we see is, is that, and, and I come and Chris as well from the venture side, you know, looking for tax credits, not necessarily in the DNA. We're looking for um, big, huge wins, 10x returns, not thinking about, you know, how are we actually going to optimize on the tax credit side? So from a DNA perspective, I think they're, um, is a slower adoption to it, regardless of the regs being written. We have been um, thinking about that pipeline of businesses that we can bring in in advance of the pipeline of the regulations being done, because we realize that to create that valuable marketplace, we actually have to have uh, be moving ahead of that ahead of time to have a list of companies that investors could actually invest in. But I think um, it is it is a challenge until the regs are written. Maybe Chris, can you share with us some of the ideal um, businesses that you think would be great fits for opportunity zone investing? Yeah, I, I think that um, you know Anne covered the comment around um, that real estate investors don't need any help. Real estate investors have their are able to wrap their head around this program and are used to using tax credits to finance you know new projects. Um, I think the interesting thing about the Opportunity Zone program is that it was written in a deliberately um, very sort of open-ended way. And our hope is that when the regs come out, it remains that way, um, particularly around business investment, um, because there's an opportunity with this legislation to transform communities through the creation of homegrown um job creation engines, right? Homegrown, you know, small businesses and startups uh, that, that create a lot of jobs. An example of that is a company that started at Lucid, uh, a company that started at Launchpad in New Orleans um, called Lucid. Um, started at about the same time Launchpad started, uh, little, and they were members at Launchpad in 2010. Um, in the last um, eight years, they've grown to over 300 employees 
These are well-paying jobs. And this is sort of a, a homegrown company that is reflective of um, companies that can take on uh, business capital through the Opportunity Zone program, provided that some of these regs uh, land the right way, um, including, and this is getting into a little bit of the policy wonk talk, but uh, I think your audience um, probably under, you know, is, is aware of some of these and feels the same way, provided um, some of the things like uh, you know, direct business investing, where, where their revenue is recognized from, um, that it does not have to be recognized in the zone. Um, the, you know, these are these are things that will make the program really function for um, high growth businesses and for the creation of these job creation engines in these communities. Yeah, I think that's really important to uh, that the income test requirement be a little bit more flexible for businesses because as businesses start to grow, their income streams start to expand outside of the opportunity zone. You don't want to hinder those potential investments. I, I agree with you there. Exactly right. so I know you must, you guys must be very eager to, to receive more guidance from the IRS regulations that are due uh, within the next couple of weeks here. I think we'll probably get the second round. So that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a fund sponsor, investor, real estate developer, or other participant in the Opportunity Zone ecosystem? I want to take this time to tell you more about the Opportunity Zone Super Conference, coming to the Dallas area, April 3 through 4. I will be in attendance, and I would love to meet you there. When you attend, you'll gain skills for structuring Opportunity Zone funds, discover methods to manage tax, legal, and business issues, and meet other Opportunity Zone fund sponsors, investors, developers, and service providers. The conference features some of the most innovative Opportunity Zone fund managers in both real estate and venture investing, like Kevin Shields, CEO of Griffin Capital, and the nation's leading Opportunity Zone advocates, attorneys, and consultants, including professionals from the Federal Reserve, Baker McKenzie, and Novogratic. And for a limited time, as a listener of the Opportunity Zones podcast, you can get an additional 25% off your ticket by using promo code OPPORTUNITYDB. Head on over to OZDFW.com to learn more and buy tickets today. What, uh, what is the investment case for momentum markets? I want to talk to you about that because uh, I know you, that's, that's your primary focus is setting up shop in, in what you refer to as momentum markets. So for, even just forget opportunity zones for a moment. Why should I invest in places like Memphis and Nashville as opposed to the Bay Area or or New York City? Yeah, so um, our thesis is around you know when you look at the concentration of jobs and the housing challenges that are happening in some of these um, hub markets, we sort of call San Francisco and New York a hub market. Um, there was a survey that that was done last year that over fifty percent of the people in the Bay Area. Uh, that live in the Bay Area right now want to leave, right? So we would ask them, all right, well, where are you going to move to? And typically uh, cities like Austin, maybe Boulder, Colorado, Nashville, some of these cities would be on their list. And so we think there's a lot of um, opportunity and growth potential for these quality of life markets 
uh, you know, it might be moving home to where you grew up. It might be moving to where you have family, it might be moving to a place, simply put, that you can afford to buy a house, right? Because you can't, you can't buy a house anymore in the Bay Area uh, for, for anything reasonable. So um, we think there's a lot of opportunity in these markets as some of these trends that I describe as inexorable trends, you know, kind of the inexorable march of technology, um, where we started the podcast talking about um, the ability to work everywhere, um, what the internet has enabled, um, the freelancer movement. Um, we describe this as people working entrepreneurially. Uh, so it's not just starting a startup. It might be a small business, might be a professional services firm, might be somebody working remotely for a big company. Um, all of these are people who are working entrepreneurially. And that means they're 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 choosing to have agency in their lives. Um, they want to choose where they want to live first, and then create a career or a business that supports that. Um, and a lot of these <clears throat> momentum markets um, are are great markets um, for people to select and where where people are moving. So we look at things like uh, millennial population growth. Uh, we look at things like. Um, a, a great alignment between government, university, economic developers, people who really have their acts together, and and the business community is is sort of you know welcoming for this you know for this type of growth. Um, and again, from the opportunity, circling back to kind of the opportunity zone legislation, one of the neat things about many of these mid tier markets, you know, sort of smaller markets, um, is that. A, a vast swath of the CBD or sort of the places that people want to be is actually an opportunity zone. So as opposed to some of the major markets where the opportunity zone is tucked away in an industrial area or an area of town that they really want to kind of redevelop, in a lot of these communities, very desirable real estate, very desirable sort of CBD area is, right, is where the opportunity zone is. Um, so we, we see a lot of upside there. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, actually. I, you guys have big plans for future expansion. How, how many locations are you planning on opening by the end of next year, by the end of 2020? Yeah, so we're targeting 25 to 30 locations um, opening or in the process of opening uh, you know, by the end of next year. And which cities will you be opening in? Is there a specific list already or are you receiving different bids or proposals from different communities or business owners? And the all important question, uh, will they all be in opportunity zones? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there, we, we do have a list internally. We're also being uh, opportunistic. Um, if you go to a page on our website called launch lp.co slash expansion, uh, we have a little bit of our, our expansion goals and plans, and that includes a map uh, with some of the cities that we're targeting. Um, I wouldn't say we're exclusively targeting those cities. We're, we're, we're very open-minded, um, and we, we have a lot of inbound interest right now. Um, Forbes um, just called us one of the best opportunity zone investments uh, because we're an operating company, uh, and we also have the ability to invest in the bricks and we you know, in the real estate, and we also have the opportunity to invest in companies working at Launchpad, where if they're, if they're working at Launchpad, um, they're thereby they're they're in an opportunity zone. So there's a lot of different sort of opportunity zone plays around 
um, what we're doing with Launchpad, and we call that kind of a full stack model. Um, so because of that, we are primarily looking at opportunity zone locations right now. Um, we're not exclusively focused on opportunity zone locations, but as Ann um, termed it, you know, we think of this as sort of an accelerant for our business. Um, and, and, and it's also an area, um, where we, where we feel like we, we can have a major impact. Uh, so one of the things that I think is important to note is that, um, we are really focused on supporting the growth of the entrepreneurs in the communities that, that already live in opportunity zones. Um, and, you know, it is important to, you know, be cautious of, you know, you know, mitigate against, you know, you know, gentrification and forces that drive up, you know, housing prices and that type of thing. So um, we definitely want to be focused on the people who live in opportunity zones and made them opportunity zones in the first place and helping to create economic opportunity for them and being a job creation engine for, for, for those folks. Right. Very thorough answer. There are a lot to unpack there. And I want to, I want to ask you a few follow-up questions on some of the points you just touched on uh, in a moment. But first, actually, I want to go back to my question about the the cities. I know, know you mentioned before finding opportunity zones that are located in central business districts or CBDs. Uh, w- what else are you looking for when you decide which cities to go into? What's, what's your process going to be like for selecting these cities? Yeah, so in a lot of cases, um, I, I'll, I'll tell you some of the things we're looking for, uh, and then I'll, and I'll talk about the process. Um, so one of the big factors is uh, population growth, um, uh, and then in particular, we look at millennial population growth. So if there's a growing millennial population of people moving back, uh, that's a factor we look at. We also look at rates of business creation. Um, existing rates of um, entrepreneurship and and sort of small business creation, uh, and we also look at um, sort of community assets and so uh, universities, um, you know, historic assets and cultural assets, um, the type of thing that that you know people are interested in. One of the things we 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 talk about is does it pass our our three day weekend test. Um, so would you be interested in, you know, flying up to Nashville for the weekend, to kind of hang out? Um, yeah, probably that sounds like, that sounds like fun. You know, those are, those are cities, uh, that, that have interest that, you know, kind of hit people's radar when they're, when they're thinking about moving places or they, or they're thinking about moving home. So those are, those are sort of, those are sort of the, you know, some of the criteria we've got to you know, pretty detailed model, but those are sort of the high level of criteria that we look for um, in city selection. Now, from a process perspective, um, we've got we've got sort of twofold. One is um, we are generating inbound interest, um, and so we have uh, both developers uh, as well as economic developers and and mayors uh, coming to us and kind of recruiting Launchpad into their city um, because uh, because of the economic impact we can have um, and that's that's one kind of channel for us um, and then the other is we we we're being deliberate um, and intentional about going out and, and pursuing markets and so we've got markets that we're targeting. We typically go into the mayor or economic development office um, and try to build relationships with developers um, in those cities. 
one one note about Launchpad is that we are an operator of co-working spaces, um, and we we want to be able to bring capital to developments, but we don't want to be developers ourselves. So we're a great partner to local developers that are putting a project together. Um, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna develop projects ourselves. Well, now you've got me eager to take a three-day weekend trip to Nashville. I've never been there before, actually, so that is that is on my radar, as it, as it turns out. Uh, can you discuss the importance of engaging with the community, going in and, and speaking with the mayor's office? How, how important is it to do that during the initial phase of investment before you start laying bricks, before you start incubating these, these startup programs? Yeah, I think that is... Um one of the most uh, critical differentiators that we take on um, as we look at markets, we really are looking for partners in any of the markets that we choose to, because if we don't have all of the ecosystem players, the government, uh, the economic development groups, the entrepreneurial community, um, supportive of our market entry, uh, then we come in as just a, you know, a retail shop and, and our success um, is much more challenging. And so what we see is, is that we want to be a net positive to any of these communities. And the way to do that is to make sure that we go where we actually, um, people are looking to have us. So we're often hearing from mayor's office that they would love to have a launch pad in their city. This would solve a lot of their uh, economic uh, activation of the entrepreneurial community. Um, it gives them additional tools and resources that they can offer. And so we will look for cities that are really looking to sort of spur that um, growth. Typically, because we take about a 15 to 20,000 square foot footprint, um, we're not looking to dominate any given market. And that makes us um, kind of a really friendly player to come in um, to work well with all of the other players and, and do that. And so We'll typically take that on um, a couple of months before we finalize a market. We'll work with uh, the economic development group. We'll work with those local folks. Often the mayor's department will want us to come in. And we'll also research um, the different developers, the different locations, and we'll do scouting missions. Um, once we get some alignment there, the engagement with the community doesn't stop. And so um, as we're going through the development process, we engage with members of the community in terms of, you know, what would be the right things to set up. We pre-opening, we're working with people to make sure that we help locate meetups and we create programs and events and structures. And really every launch pad acts like the community hub, um, offering free meetup opportunities for anyone in the community long as it's available to everyone in the community. Good. Can you dive into your business model a little further, specifically as it pertains to opportunity zones? You mentioned earlier intending to possibly have a real estate component, but but does that mean you're going to be substantially improving existing spaces uh, under the provisions of the, the program? Or are you talking about ground up construction of new co-working buildings or or will your potential opportunity zone investments typically just be within the businesses that, that you're incubating and investing in? You know, as we think a little bit about the model and um, how we'll enter a different, any given market, we will take on different formats depending on the market and depending on what actually makes sense for our business and for the different partners within. And so one way we'll do that is obviously we we do uh, relationships with developers. We can become an anchor tenant into a development activity that's existing. 
Um, but oftentimes we're also looking at, you know, if we're doing some placemaking, for example, in a town where we want to kind of come together with some of the developers um, that are starting to build live, work, retail, and um, restaurant. And we might actually help be an investor in that project um, as a separate and activity thing with the idea that having a launch pad in any one of these projects is a great activator for both the community, but also a great success driver for any of these developments. So where it makes sense, we um, will bring in investors, we may participate, in some of these projects, because it is, you know, obviously very exciting. And then we get to participate in the upside um, of those development activities. Absolutely. So for, for potential investors, what is the opportunity here for them? Are, are they, will they have the opportunity to invest in Launchpad as an opportunity zone business and invest in the real estate and invest in the companies that develop at the Launchpad locations? Uh, what, what types of qualified opportunity funds will you be offering or, or possibly multiple project-driven funds or location-specific funds? Or maybe you haven't figured this out yet, but just talk me through it a little bit, what, what, what you're thinking. No, and I think that's one of the most exciting parts of this whole initiative is, is that this really is a full-stack approach, which is um, we will have investors in Launchpad. We just raised our first uh, round of financing. We did a seed round um, with the idea for us to get enough capital so that we could start to accelerate some of the projects, um, but also uh, start to set the elements that we would need for the next round of capital raise that we'll do into the management company. Um, so that would be the first area, Launchpad as an operating business. Those investors who invest in Launchpad as an operating uh, business will also have the great opportunity if we do decide to do actual real estate projects and real estate investing, we will give them first rights to participate in any of those real estate projects. And on the third wave side of things, we will have a venture fund. Um, and we operate the venture fund separate from the operating business and not, and we really look at it as, um, you know, a great, a cradle, a cradle to scale strategy. And the venture fund looks at businesses that may be working at Launchpad that are ready to graduate or building up um, sort of a level of maturity and filling a gap that really is lacking across the U.S. in some of these momentum markets between that seed stage and Series A. Um, and so we really would be looking for exciting opportunities there and the ability for us to invest in companies, not just at Launchpad, but also within those zones. And so we'll have an opportunity zone dedicated fund um, that will look to invest like a venture investor on a nationwide scale in these markets and in supporting the growth of businesses that operate within the zones. Well, that's great. And congratulations on closing that seed round funding can you tell me a little bit more about your your Opportunity Zone fund? And I understand maybe you don't have all the details worked out yet, but uh, do you have a target for the amount you want to raise? Yes, we do. Uh, and it'll be dependent, obviously, with an Opportunity Zone fund, uh, especially on the venture side. Um, the structuring does get a little bit more complicated. Um, so we're sort of looking at an initial placement around $20 million um, to start the process. And so that would be sort of the first fund with the idea that um, because of the investment timelines and, and sort of constraints there, um, that would allow us, and then we could start to deploy that capital and then begin doing the follow-on funds. 
Um, one of the pieces that we're doing is uh, in the process right now of sort of waiting on the regulations really to get the final structuring in place. Um, and so obviously the venture fund uh, takes a little bit more time um, and we are really uh, dependent on those regulations for us to make the, make those moves. But in the meantime, we are actively soliciting and looking at great companies and trying to find a, build a pipeline of companies that would be potentials for us to consider once we have that venture fund in place. Very good. For our community leaders out there who may be listening, uh, people from the mayor's office or maybe the mayor himself or economic development teams, what can local community leaders do to attract capital to their opportunity zones? What, what can they do to get in front of the right people? That's a that's a great question. Um, so there is a uh, group, um, an accelerator program called Accelerator for America, um, that is helping um, uh, th that is helping cities prepare a prospectus, um, and so that uh, helps them prepare kind of a structured in prospectus with various you know parts of their zone and what they might be primed for in terms of investment. Um, so that's one of the places I would point people to, and that's acceleratorforamerica.org. Um, there's also a group that we work with uh, that's developing something called the OZ Guide. You know, so so the first thing I I would say is kind of put yourself out there in the in the opportunity zone community. Um, you're probably you you're probably hearing things. I'll, I'd ask you the same the same question. But um, I I just heard a remark the other day at one of the opportunity zone conferences that there are twenty opportunity zone funds. Um, that have raised more than a billion dollars each or are targeting a billion dollars each. And their biggest challenge is, is deal flow, um, is, is lack of um, projects to invest in. And so um, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to have a first mover advantage and to put yourself out there as a city. Um, and, and mayors who are wrapping their heads around this are, are really are, are have a competitive advantage. Um, and, and two mayors that um, uh, I think are out there that are doing this is uh, Mayor Tubbs of Stockton, California, um, uh, is doing really well. Uh, Mayor Greg Fisher of Louisville is doing really well um, at talking about their um, opportunity zones and talking about these programs and recruiting investors in. So um, I think being out there and being kind of front and center as as this wave of opportunity, so to speak, is happening uh, is is really cr crucial. Right. Yeah. Stockton and Louisville are two of the cities I've heard referenced before. And, and Erie, Pennsylvania is a third that comes to mind that gets referenced a lot in terms of building a city prospectus for potential investors. And yeah, I think it's all about, I think you're right. The problem isn't raising the capital. It's, it's more uh, getting the deal flow and finding those shovel ready projects and whatever community leaders can do to, you know, eliminate a lot of the green tape, eliminate a lot of the red tape with, uh, with getting platted and, getting the all of the all of the paperwork done to, to get these projects off the ground within their opportunity zones. I think that would help significantly as well. Uh, well, we're getting toward the end of our discussion here, and uh, I want to let you guys go soon so you can tend to Harper. But uh, I had a retrospective question for you, Chris, and, and I'd love for Anne to 
answer it as well. What what is the most memorable investment that you have ever made? Are there any that come to mind? Any that stick out? Well, that's a great question. I I think. Um... Uh, well, one, uh, for any entrepreneurs, uh, listening, um, investing in myself, investing in ourselves, um, you know, being an entrepreneur and believing in yourself and, uh, and, and taking a swing at bat is, is certainly the most meaningful thing that I've ever done and had the privilege to do and, and, uh, be able to build businesses and, it's it's an ongoing process, so you're always trying to get to the next level. But um, I think reflecting on that is is certainly a, an important thing um, in terms of investing in somebody else's business. Um, the company that I referenced earlier, Lucid, um, which was a New Orleans-based company that um, you know was the first check-in, the first investor. Um, they started at Launchpad. That's how I got to know the founder, uh, and now they have over 300 employees. Um, and uh, and are doing really well. Just raised a sixty million dollar round of capital. Um, that's probably the most notable company that that I've invested in, and and I had a lot of fun working with them. Anne, I'd say Launchpad. Um, I think we've been investing the last year. It's probably the most uh, on the ropes I've been since leaving Silicon Valley big jobs, and it's um, it's really meaningful and exciting work. And we are. Uh, planning to do it for the long haul. So that's that's the most meaningful for me. Well, that's great. And I love the work that, that Launchpad is doing. I, I love your story. Uh, could you tell our listeners where they could go to learn more about both of you and, and about Launchpad? Sure. Um, Launchpad is uh, lp.co. Uh, for any of your listeners uh, interested in a Launchpad in there, city where they live or a project that they're working on. Uh, we have a, we have an expansion page that's lp.co slash expansion. Um, we're on Twitter at launchpad, uh, is our handle on Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, at C Schultz, C S C H U L T Z. And Anne is on Twitter, Twitter at Anne Driscoll at Anne, A N N E D R I S C O L L. Excellent. And for my listeners out there, I'll have links to all of the resources that Chris and Ann and I discussed on the podcast episode today. I'll have links to Accelerator for America, the Forbes article that was referenced, and to the Launchpad links and their social networking sites as well, social networking profiles as well. You can check out the show notes at the Opportunity Zones database website at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. Well, Chris and Ann, thank you for joining me today on the show. I, like I said, I, I love the Launchpad story and I wish you guys nothing but the, the best going forward. And I hope to talk with you both soon. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks so much for having us on. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.